Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. On today's episode we will be featuring the Tier 9 Tech Tree US Destroyer USS Fletcher. And this is actually by listener request. And I'm sure many of you have the Fletcher or at least know it very well seen it a few times in battle and it is been power crept a little bit it's not as good as it used to be but it's still objectively one of the best destroyers at its tier stick around to find out why But before we get to the Fletcher, the main topic of today's episode, let's go over the World of Warships news. So first up is the introduction of a bundle for Z-44, and that contains a commander, well, obviously Z-44, which is a tier 9 destroyer, German destroyer, and it contains a commander with 10 skill points, 6,000 doubloons, 12 million credits, um, 40 black, white, and red expendable camouflages, 2 equal speed Charlie London, or no, 200 equal speed Charlie London signals, uh, 200 India Bravo Terra 3 signals, 200 Zulu signals, 200 Papa Papa signals, 200 Zulu hotel signals, a commemorative flag, which those are always really cool, um, and then a combat mission to increase uh, your ship XP by 200% and one port slot. And this is selling for uh, currently on sale for $144.99. So that's US dollars. So basically $145 US dollars, whatever that translates to in your currency. Uh, Z44. Hmm. It's an interesting ship. It definitely is going to have an acquired taste for sure. So. What makes her different than any other German destroyer? Well, what makes her different than most other German high-tier ships is the complete lack of a hydroacoustic search consumable, which may be a huge blow to anybody who's looking at getting a German destroyer because uh, that's kind of their main selling point, is they're really, really uh, good hydroacoustic search consumable. It's not quite as long-lasting as the British hydroacoustic search consumable on their... Um, destroyers, but it is much further ranged, and it's essentially just a long range or a short range, ultra long duration radar. Uh, going in a smoke battle with one of these things is not cool with as another destroyer. So if you both smoke up, uh, most uh, German destroyers now, with the exception of the Z44, can just spot you, sit in their smoke, and farm you as they like. So that's one of the main bad things about this ship. Uh, other bad thing about the ship is she's not particularly fast, does not have a particularly good rudder shift time, she doesn't have, uh, or she actually has pretty terrible detection, and uh, that's that's basically where the bad stuff ends. So, what does she actually play like? Well, she plays more like a pan-European destroyer. She has incredibly quick torpedo reload with a lot of them. They don't like deal around 13,000 damage, but there are two quintuple tube torpedo launchers, and they have an 85 second reload, I believe, base. Uh, they have, in, or like most other German destroyers, Z-44 has very, very potent uh, armor-piercing ammunition, so it's basically just a Royal Navy uh, cr like cruiser as a destroyer because the high-explosive shells are near useless. They should only be used if a ri ricochet is guaranteed. Um, she also does have a very good HP pool, and there's obviously that uh, 
more credits per battle and XP as with all other premium ships. So definitely an acquired taste. This is a torp long range torpedo boat. Wargaming has specified that it was designed that way. It's not supposed to be a close quarters engager. So you're probably just going to sit around at maximum range firing your torpedoes and then your guns every once in a while. Uh, so in that way, it plays like a mix between a French destroyer and a pan-European destroyer. So if you're kind of into that, then this might be the destroyer for you. So next up on our news for this Fortnite is the Santa gift containers that Wargaming is offering, or World of Warships is offering in the premium shop. And I believe a mega gift container goes, or one of them goes for $5. A big gift container goes for, uh, let me see here, $3. And a uh, regular Santa gift container goes for $1. Um... Yeah, these things are a complete ripoff. I'm sorry, Wargaming, that's very harsh of me to say, but they are. They're, I've watched videos of people opening uh, 20 of them, so they sell them in a pack of 20 for the Mega Gift containers. Uh, they normally go for $100, but they're now going for $74.99, and that's U.S. dollars. And they got a Marblehead Lima, so that's a Tier 5. It's basically an Omaha, premium Omaha, so if anybody's played through the Omaha, you know how unenjoyable of an experience that is. Um, and then they got a Daco de Acosta, which is a tier 6 premium uh, premium Italian cruiser. So, and then, and I mean, a lot of camouflages and stuff, but that's not really worth it. It's not worth 74 bucks to get, I think, 50 camouflages and, like, I think they said 300 signal flags. Yeah, so, complete ripoff absolute ripoff it's a scam i can't believe they even sell these things please don't buy these i've seen way too many people just get ripped off by these i mean if you want to go uh, i guess buy one or if you're looking for just a normal container i guess it, there's no harm in buying 20 normal santa gift containers if you're just if you got 20 bucks to spend or something yeah go ahead i mean you're pretty much just, if, if you buy those, you're just looking for camouflages and things just to see what you can get. And that's perfectly fine. I, I wish they would just cut off at that $20 because honestly, that's all that any of these containers are worth. And they do right away say that you can get the rare ships of the Tier 4 Soviet battleship Imperator Nikolai the first Tier 5 Germ or Soviet destroyer, the Gremiashi, Tier... Five uh, destroyer Kamikaze. That's J Japanese. Tier five destroyer the Fusion. It's also Japanese. The Julio Cesare, Julio Cesare, uh, which is a uh, Italian tier five battleship. And you can also get the Flint, the Belfast, and Mikhail Kutsarov, and the Enterprise. And you can also get the tier nine ships, which are normally available for like steel or just an absolute. I don't even know crap ton of money. Um, so you can get the Neustrashimi, the Missouri, the Musashi, the Kronstadt, the Benham, the John Bart, the Palmer, and the Aguirre, the Georgia, the Alaska, the Zuma, and the Friesland. Can you guess how high of a chance you have of getting any of those ships I just listed? Uh, basically none. You could probably buy about 10 packs of these 20 containers, so... Uh, lots of containers and you would never get any of these so if you're just gonna go or if you want one of these ships i guess if you want to try your luck to get the julio cesar i mean sure maybe get these containers i don't know i just still think it's not worth it it's a tier five ship and then i mean you can get up to a tier eight ship Eh, not really worth it i just go spend three dollars more and get yourself a nice tier nine premium 
Honestly, if you have that kind of money to spend on something for a game, I would honestly just go buy a ship or go buy it. just a ton of camouflages or something like that. It's not worth it. If you, I guess if you really want the Jean Bart, maybe try. I don't know. I'm just never going to go buy one of those things. I'm sorry, Wargaming. It's not worth it. Now, by no means am I saying don't invest money in World of Warships. They absolutely deserve to be paid because this is a very good game that they've come up with. I mean, it's rough around the edges in some points, but it is a good game. We all certainly enjoy it. So just don't invest your money in that way. You're not getting something out of it there. And for our next bit of Wargaming news, or World of Warships news, rather... Wargaming is completely renovating ranked battles, so essentially there's going to be three different leagues. So you're going to have the Gold, Silver, and the Bronze League. And when a season starts, or, I mean, there's not going to be any season anymore. It's pretty much just going to be one season straight to the next. There's not going to be a gap in the seasons. But when a season starts, everybody starts in the Bronze League. And these seasons are made up of a variety, or, or a lot of sprints, which can last from one to four weeks, according to Wargaming. And so everybody starts at the lowest rank in the Bronze League, and they work their way up to the uh, rank one in the Bronze League. And then you qualify in a battle, and you can uh, earn your way up to the Silver League. And the same thing goes for the Silver League to get to the Gold League, and you reach rank one for the Gold League, and you'll have to wait to the next sprint to start earning rewards in the Gold League. And so this is in place to make sure that people are playing others that have similar skill sets to themselves. So you don't get people who are maybe just dabbling in ranked battles to uh, or playing against people, you know, like Flamu or Chase or something, who are experts at this game and know everything about it. So it's giving people more of a chance to play against people of their own skill and to still earn rewards and rank up, make it easier on people so that more people are playing these ranked battles. Uh, I do look forward to this because I always seem to miss ranked battles. I am usually only play at night, and that's unfortunately still a restriction. They're not going to be playing at night. And they're saying that this is to ensure that there's high-quality matchmaking, which I guess can make sense, but it's still a little annoying because I tend to only have time to play World of Warships at night, which I think, honestly, that restriction should go, but whatever. Um, and so everybody can earn rewards such as steel and things like that, and there's also a new flag that's out, it looks like and uh so that's going to make more players able to get these steel ships that are so elusive uh in the world of warships community so i quite find that quite interesting i'll definitely try to make my way up these ranks i don't know if i'm totally gonna have enough time to uh do this but we'll see uh certainly sounds fun i've never been able to try a ranked battle because i haven't been able to play during their prime time but i'll certainly try this uh, in this new format that they have, which sounds very fun. Next up, as far as news is concerned, there's uh, results are in for the Verizon Warriors Championship. Uh, go check those out if you want to. Um, honestly, I watched some of the highlights, and honestly, there was a, a lot of pants-on-head moments from these uh, clan players, which is very interesting, but they're uh, definitely well-deserved for the people who won, and congratulations to them. So, next bit of news is that the update 0.1 point or 0.10.0 has entered public test. 
And I'm not going to go over what's in that update because it changes so frequently. The stuff that would be in the update would be out of date or would, would change before this episode would even be made. So not going to go into that. But what we will go into is what's going to be in update 0.9.12. So this is going to be uh, the kind of New Year update and the I guess the Christmas update is going to get your Christmas port themes and uh, some other stuff. I mean, there's been Christmas events that have been going on for a little bit now, but this is where they're going to be in full swing. So what's going to happen in this update, do you ask? Well, I am here to answer. So first up, there's going to be some New Year's gifts. And remember I was talking about those Santa containers that they're offering? Well, there's going to be a free Santa's gift container waiting for you on the main page. And you can collect a second Santa's gift container by opening the in-game premium shop. And another Santa's gift container will be waiting for you when you go to the special New Year's website after the update goes live. And the update is going live um, at... Uh, Monday, December 21st, 5 a.m. Pacific Time, and it's going to have be an update size of 1.7 gigabytes. So look out for that. And there's going to be some free bundles, so apparently the Armory is going to be offering free random bundles, uh, which they're calling New Year's Supplies, and you can find, like, Santa's gift containers and Santa's big gift containers, as well as other valuable resources, or they're calling them valuable resources. They're probably just camouflage, but whatever. Uh, that's still nice nonetheless. So you can uh, have one bundle per day, and there's going to be 12 bundles available, and you can skip eight days uh, and still be able to collect all the rewards. So they're going to be available from December 22nd, uh, 3 a.m. Pacific time, and they're going to be available until Monday, January 11th, 3 a.m. Pacific time. So what are going to be these bundles? Well, there's going to be 50 doubloons. There's going to be one day of premium, uh, 2,000 total coal, looks like 12 yeah 15 camouflages 15 total camouflages two regular santa gift containers and one big santa gift container and guess what there's another dockyard yes people who love these dockyards well i guess it's another one's coming your way feel free to build all you want uh people who don't love it just ignore it but it is coming, and you can build the new Japanese battleship Tier 9 Hizen. And it's a variant of a super battleship project. And guess what gun she has? She has 410mm guns placed in, not three, four turrets. There's 12 of them. So it's basically a down-tiered Montana. Yeah. There you go. Wargaming's uh, done it again. <laughs> done another overpowered Japanese Tier 9 battleship. So I guess, I guess we'll see how good this is. Maybe it might be another Puerto Rico dumpster fire. You never know. But uh, so if you're into that, you can definitely do that. Uh, you can also earn a Tier 2 Japanese destroyer and a Tier 5 Japanese cruiser if you want. Uh, and you can also get uh, some winter permanent camouflages for those ships. If you're into that, great. If you're not into that, like I said, just ignore it. It's one of those things that you just do it if you like it, I guess. I don't know. There's uh, Snowflake, so these are battle performance bonuses, and essentially what they are is you can, if you complete a certain task, you can get rewards, So, and this is for tier 5 and up, and this, is, this can go on every single one of your ships, there's not any uh, limits on that, and the rewards can be earned by gaining a victory or earning 300 base experience, which is basically nothing, so you'll um, be able to do that no problem, and if you... Uh, on the having a bad day or something, you can uh, also do it by playing a co-op battle, which is pretty much a guaranteed victory for a team that's capable of thinking and breathing at the same time. 
So for tiers uh, 5 through 7, the rewards are 400, 500, and 750 coal, respectively. Tiers 8 to tier 9, 75 steel. And tier 10 is a Santa's gift container. So now these are just normal Santa's gift containers. They're not big or mega Santa's gift containers. So... Uh, New Year campaigns are up next. And this New Year's campaign is uh, 32 tasks and 4 missions. And each mission tells the part of a story for the French Navy. And it uses the example of the Tier 7 Premium, French battleship Strasbourg, and her famous sister ship, which is the battleship Tier 6, uh, French Premium battleship Dunkirk. Uh, completing these missions will reward you with... Command, uh, New Year commanders, or unique New Year commanders of Pan-Asian, Italian, and French ships, and completing the entire campaign will reward you with the Tier 7 French premium battleship, the Strasbourg, and in winter camouflage as well, which I actually think is a pretty good deal. A Tier 7 ship for free, so long as you play the game. I think that's uh, very nice of Wargaming to do, so that might be interesting for you to complete. I certainly will be going after it. Not sure if I'm going to be able to complete the entire campaign, but definitely will try. And in addition to that, there's another campaign, which is, which is the Ships and Fates campaign, which you'll need the Tier 7 Strasbourg, which I think is a little bit crap, but whatever. So you need to complete one task to essentially do the other. So, a little interesting, but it tells the story of more ships, which is the Furutaka, Hawkins, Katowski, uh, T-22, and Visby, as well as uh, the Tier 5 American battleship New York. And essentially by completing certain uh, missions in this, or there's 36 tasks and 6 missions here, by completing each uh, mission, you get a captain for uh, certain, and camouflage as, as well as a Santa's gift container for each of these ships. So... The captains, or the Santa captains, which is what they are, um, look different for each nation, and they uh, will captain your ship, I guess. That's interesting, but interesting reward if you can manage to complete the Strasbourg campaign. That will be uh, actually a very fun campaign to go through after that. There's also new changes to the armory, and that's just that they're adding more coupons that are going to be active from December 25th to January 8th, and there's also going to be some new ships in the armory. Uh, one of them is the Tier 8 Pan-Asian Destroyer, the Silawangi, for 10,300 doubloons. And there's also going to be some Tier 9 ships, so the uh, Z-44, Georgia, Palmer, and Alaska, Aguirre, Azuma, and Friesland. And they're going to be available for 19,300 uh, doubloons. And I believe some of these ships, or actually these some of these ships are, going to be removed from the game in... Uh, not long span of time, so they're not going to be available for doubloons, which I don't know what I think about that, because now, rather than having to actually work their way through and earn coal, people are just going to be able to buy the Georgia. I don't know. For doubloons as well. So I believe if you buy a ship for doubloons, it doesn't cost as much versus as if you bought it with real money. Or not real money, but uh, just straight up with money. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, I guess we'll see how that goes. But those ships, a lot of those ships, so the Georgia, the Alaska, the Massachusetts, and the Thunder, and the Smallland will no longer be available to obtain. And the Georgia, Alaska, and Massachusetts will also uh, no longer be available to purchase in the premium shop, which I applaud Wargaming on doing this because I've been seeing way too many Georgias, way too many Alaskas, way too many Massachusetts, and way too many Thunderers. Haven't really seen a whole lot of small ones, but I don't know. 
I could definitely deal without the uh, Georgia, Alaska, and Thunder. Those are some uh, very annoying ships, as well as the Massachusetts, but whatever. Think what you may about that. So, uh, another unfortunate change is that Sommers will not be available in the Armory for an indefinite period of time. She's going to be replaced by another American ship, which is going to be the Tier 10 American cruiser, Austin. Um, don't know what that's going to look like. I really haven't seen a picture of that or anything, but... Uh, that's sad. I've been working towards getting the Sommers, and I can't get any steel because there's no ranked seasons. So, that's sad. I wanted the Sommers, and now I'm not going to be able to get it. And the Wargaming is saying that they're warning you in advance that these ships are coming out so you can obtain them if you are trying to grind towards them. Unfortunately, 23,000 steel is a lot of steel, and I don't think you're going to be able to get that amount of steel within two to three months' time. It usually takes like a year, or at least for me, to, or... Yeah, it takes a year for me to grind a coal ship. Ugh. I can't imagine how long it's going to take me to grind a steel ship. Oh, well. So, I guess I'm not going to be getting the Somers. That's mildly unfortunate. And then there's the game balance changes. And this is where things really start to get fun. So, first, the Kansas. Everybody's favorite ship. Of course. You're, you're, you're all just falling over yourselves to grind the Kansas and the American Battleship Tech Tree, are we not? I mean, come on, who isn't, right? Wait, what do you mean? It's a bad ship? What do you mean? What do you guys mean it's a bad ship? It's the best ship ever. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's terrible. So, the stigma parameter is increased from 1.6 to 1.7. That's essentially just going to improve the groupings of the shells. Wargaming, I'd love for you to do it to the Colorado, please. I do not like playing the Colorado because the stigma's so bad. Anyways, armor penetration has increased by 3.5%. Minnesota, the uh, armor penetration, the shells, has increased by 4%. Uh, Tallinn, which is that Soviet thing that they introduced a few updates ago, uh, armor penetrations increased by approximately 12.5%. So if you guys weren't satisfied with the Talon's armor penetration before, you just you got citadeled by a Talon. It was like, well, you know that would you know what that thing really needs? It needs more armor penetration. Why don't we increase it by exactly 12.5%? And Wargaming is only too happy to oblige that request. Um, and the Admiral Hippers main battery reload times reduced from from 11.5 seconds to 11 seconds. Doesn't make that much of a difference. And here's the Ho Show. And so the number of torpedo bombers in a squadron reduced from 6 to 5. Size of attacking flight of torpedo bombers decreased from 2 to 1. What? What? Wait, so you're telling me that if someone wants to play the Ho Show, they want to do, like, the Ho Show's main gag here. It's the torpedoes. They're only going to be launching one torpedo at a time. How Stupid is that? Okay, so if you've never played a carrier, which a lot of people haven't, tier 4 carriers are, like, useless. They're absolute. All they are is spotting. That's all they're supposed to do. It's so frustrating to grind through the Langley. The Langley is arguably one of the worst ships in the game, and I know they're nerfing the Hosho right now, but uh, they're also going to nerf the Langley. Excuse me? What? <laughs> Uh, so, number of torpedo bombers on deck reduced from 9 to 8, which I guess is okay. Torpedo bomber restoration time increased from 59 to 71 seconds. Wow, that's huge. Torpedo damage increased from 5,004. Oh, okay, there you go. Okay, so they're just changing the meta a little bit. Um, 
Oh, they are nerfing carriers. Oh, sweet. Okay, so I just scrolled down, and they are nerfing a lot of carriers here. Okay, so let's get to that lang later. Langley, torpedo damage reduced from 4,233 to 3,500. As if the Langley's torpedoes ever did anything in the first place. I literally don't even use the Langley's torpedo bombers. I've only slowly been going through the Langley. I don't think I've played it in probably about 30 battles or so. Uh, chances of causing flooding reduced from 33% to 30%. So the Conqueror has a higher chance of causing fire than the Langley's torpedoes have of causing flooding. Okay, whatever. Manfred von Richthofen. The area of the radical ellipse of bombers has been increased. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now, battleship players, you're not going to get citadeled as much by the bombers but uh i guess whatever um yeah that's that's definitely welcome but if they could like drop bombs that aren't as easily capable of citadeling battleships that would be nice as well uh they also fixed an issue that resulted in excessive deceleration de when the engine boost is used so this uh value has been adjusted to match the standard one uh that's according to uh world of warships um and uh, the Implacable uh, is going to have its maximum bomb damage increase. What? Wait, a I thought they were nerfing carriers. Oh, boy. Yeah, so sorry, guys. They're not nerfing carriers. They're buffing carriers. As if you ever got bombed by an Implacable. It's like, well, you know what that thing needs? That thing needs to have higher damage output. So its maximum bomb damage has been increased from 5,300 to 5,600. So now if you're on less than uh, 6,000 health, feel free to be one-shotted by a carrier. Um, chances of bombs causing fire on target increased from 30 to 32%. So yeah, if you get hit by an implacable, you're pretty much guaranteed to get a fire on yourself. Assuming they have three bomb hits, you're going to get a fire. Uh, audacious... Number of rock oh the so implacable is tier eight yeah tier eight uh British aircraft carrier and the audacious is the tier ten. Number of rockets carried by standard attack aircraft reduced from twelve to ten. Sweet. Number of rockets carried by researchable attack aircraft reduced from fourteen to twelve. That's amazing to see that wargaming is going down the right path of nerfing carriers. Uh, maximum bomb damage uh Maximum bomb damage increased from 6,000 to 6,400. Have fun, cruisers. Chance of bombs causing fire on target increased from 35 to 36%. Okay, well, as soon as Wargaming was like, we're going to nerf carriers, and then we're also going to buff them in a another way. So, okay, do what you want, Wargaming. Uh, have fun with that, destroyers. Yeah, or actually, destroyers—a little bit of relief for them. Cruisers, have fun. My deepest sympathies. Uh, there's also some technical changes. So essentially, if you have more than a hundred containers, which I don't know who has more than a hundred containers, honestly, but if you have more than a hundred containers, those containers are going to be opened automatically for you to reduce server load. And there's also that discontinuation of support among Mac OS. So 
Macintosh operating systems. So essentially, if you're on a Mac, you're not going to be able to play the game after January or during January 2021 and after. So, so I would recommend downloading Windows on your Mac if you want to continue playing World of Warships. If you don't, whatever. But uh, that is going to be Wargaming's decision, uh, which I totally agree with. I would like World of Warships to look even better than it already does. I believe that would be very cool. And since it's restraining their gameplay... That is, a, I would say, a respectable decision by Wargaming. Final bit of news is there's going to be a Brotherhood of Beards uh, Christmas stream extravaganza. This is a yearly thing that's done to uh, raise funds for charity. Come if you like. It seems like there's going to be some cool awards. There's going to be rentals and bonus codes for uh, uh, Minkasas for all people who attend. So, yeah, that would be... Um, a very good incentive to get in there, because Minkas is kind of a meme of a ship. Uh, they're also supporting, or they are supporting, the Save the Children charity, so you have a charitable cause for tuning in and watching their streams. And now on to listener mail. And there is one email this week, and this is from someone calling himself Admiral Rex. Yeah, nice Nick. Anyways, he opens with, Hiya, mate! nice opening there i did have a little bit of a laugh when i saw that and he says i'm liking the podcast it's really fun to listen to while playing or just when you have nothing else to do and he is goes on to say that he's confused on the pronunciation of the tier nine or no tier 10 american light cruiser so there's a few different ways to pronounce it and i even told him this and it is named after an American city, which is in turn named after a British city, I believe. Or, yeah, something like that. But uh, the British pronounce it Wooster. And that's just because there's a weird mixing of English and French when the French invaded the Eng or the British Isles in, like, I think it was 1066 or so. And Old English and French mixed to produce uh, New English, so you get weird words like, I don't know, masculine and feminine. Those are the Frenchish words. Uh, that did not exist in Old English, and then you get, like, sky and red and blue, and those are uh, purely English words that did not change um, during that time. So you get words like Wooster, which it doesn't look like how it's pronounced. And so that leads to some confusion on how it's pronounced. Uh, and if it was a British ship, yeah, it'd be pronounced Wooster. But here in the United States, we like to simplify English. And in the majority of the United States, not all, but in the majority of the United States, it's actually pronounced Worcester. Like, before I had started watching British YouTube channels, I had never heard the word, uh, I guess, Wooster, pronounced Wooster. It's always, to me and everyone I know, been Worcester. So, since it's an American ship, I'm going to rule that the actual pronunciation of the ship should be Worcester. And that's how I'm going to pronounce it, or how I wanted to pronounce it, but you know, I think I'm just going to pronounce it the Woochester, just so I can disappoint everybody. Just for the memes, I'm just going to say Woochester. Yeah, alright. Uh, and he's also suggesting doing a podcast on the Fletcher class, one of the most famous classes of ships ever built by the U.S. Navy. Absolutely, yes, I w am going to do a podcast on that. Now, I haven't actually done the American uh, destroyers just because their play style is a little bit interesting. It can get a little hairy at times, and basically what you're supposed to do with the American destroyers is be aggressive most of the time. It's not totally the case with the Fletcher, but... 
Yeah, I just I prefer the Pan Asian destroyers over it. That's the destroyer line I'm grinding. I'm primarily a cruiser. I'm a cruiser main, cruiser and battleship main. That's what I did until recently, probably about I say three or four months ago. I actually started the Pan Asian line and have been loving it. Uh, there's some iffy. The first two are a little bit hard. Don't get discouraged by them. But uh, more video or more podcasts will be coming on the Pan Asian destroyer line, as they are, in my opinion, one of the strongest. Uh, destroy lines. Anyways, that concludes it for listener mail and news. Let's get on to the history of the Fletcher, which is going to be a little simplified because it's super long. And welcome back to Rank Amateur. Right now we're going to be doing the history behind USS Fletcher. So I'm sure all of you know that the Fletcher class of destroyers was the most mass-produced class of destroyer, or I believe ship, ever. And the lead ship of the class was, of course, USS Fletcher. Now, USS Fletcher was laid down on October 2nd, 1941, launched on May 3rd, 1942, commissioned on June 30th, 1942, and she was only last decommissioned, or she was uh, decommissioned in January of 1947, recommissioned in October of 1949, and she was decommissioned on October 1st, 1969. She served for a very long time in the U.S. Navy arsenal. So, let's get into the general characteristics of USS Fletcher. So she had a displacement of 2,100 long tons, uh, standard 2,924 long tons max. She had a length of 375 feet 5 inches or 114.73 meters overall. Uh, she had a beam of 39 feet 8 inches or 12.09 meters. She had a draft of 13 feet 9 inches or 4.19 meters. She had installed power of 60,000 shaft horsepower. And to emphasize how efficient uh, shipbuilding was getting, uh, the USS New Mexico had like 30,000 shaft horsepower. So, yeah, this thing had more horsepower than a battleship. Anyways, uh, she had two screws and two geared turbines. She had a top speed of 36 knots. Uh, She had a range of 6,500 nautical miles at 15 knots. She had a complement of 273 officers and enlisted. Uh, her armament consisted of five single 5-inch five 38 caliber dual-purpose guns. Yes, these guns could also shoot at aircraft. Uh, she had two 40mm Bofors anti-aircraft guns, six 20mm Orokin anti-aircraft guns, 10 21-inch or 533mm uh, torpedo tubes, six K-guns, and two depth charger racks. So to say that she was uh, well-armed was uh, not an understatement. Uh, and her armament was changed in the mid, uh, I think, 1950s, I think. So she had uh, two, five, or two five-inch or 38 caliber guns, so the same things. Two twin three-inch 50 caliber guns. Uh, she had one weapon alpha, which is uh, like a U.S. Navy, what they call a head-throwing anti-submarine weapon. So it's just a depth charge that launches ahead of the ship. It's easier to aim and stuff. And she's got two depth charge racks. So, now let's jump into the operational history of USS Fletcher. So, 1942 is one of the most eventful years that she has. So, she arrives at uh, New Mia, New Caledonia, on October 5th, 1942, from the East Coast. So, pretty quick transit there. Um, and so, she began escort and patrol duty in the Guadalcanal operation, op- bombarding at Lug- Lugna Point on October 30th. So she sailed from Espiritu Santo on October or November 9th to cover the landing of reinforcements on the island. 
and she joined in driving off a heavy enemy air attack on the transports. And so she did actually manage to shoot down several aircraft, and this was what would begin to be the Battle of Guadalcanal, which was a three-day uh, battle in well, Guadalcanal. And so Fletcher played an important role in the surface action in there on November 13th, and she fired her guns and torpedoes in what turned out to be a melee, and she sank two Japanese destroyers and damaged a fast battleship Hayai, I think that's how you pronounce it, not sure, but a Congo-class battleship. And that was later sent to the bottom by some carrier aircraft, as per usual for World War II. So she went back to Espiritu Santo to replenish and then arrived there the day after the battle, patrolled for submarines, and then sortied on November 30th, 1942 with a force of cruisers and destroyers. And these were uh, to intercept a, for or a supposed force of transports and destroyers expected to make a reinforcement of Guadalcanal that night. Fletcher led the force through the Leng Lengo Channel. God, these specific names. Holy cow. And she was actually the one to spot the enemy off Tassaforanga Point. Or Tassaforga Point, I don't know. Uh, and this was just before midnight, and there was a resulting night battle. And if you know anything about the Pacific War, you know that night battles are not good for the United States, because the Japanese were very good at conducting them. So uh, this saw one Japanese destroyer sunk, one slightly damaged, and four cruisers badly, or American cruisers badly damaged. And all but one were safe by superb damage control measures, which the Americans were known for. I wish in World of Warships they would buff the American damage control, like make it like so that fires lasted not as or didn't last as long and floods didn't last as long, because they were so good at damage control in World War II. But uh, the Fletcher rescued the survivors of USS Northampton, and they ingeniously used cork-floated cargo nets. So cargo nets that used corks to float to take uh, large groups of survivors out of the water, which is kind of uh, some real quick engineering that I'm sure a lot of people were thankful for that night. And so in 1943, the USS Fletcher primarily operated in the Solomon Islands, just patrolling, bombarding short targets, uh, driving off air attacks, rescuing down aviators, uh, destroying uh, Japanese landing barges, and covering new landings off of Guadalcanal. And she was out on patrol on February 11th, 1943, when Fletcher was alerted by a smoke uh, by a smoke float dropped by a plane from USS Helena. Some of you may recognize that that is another ship that is in World of Warships, Tier 7 American light cruiser. And so this was, had alerted the USS Fletcher of the presence of a submarine. So the USS Fletcher sped up and attacked uh, the sub or the Japanese submarine I-18 and managed to sink her. Uh, she supported the landings off the Russell Islands on February twenty or tw February twenty fourth. Excuse me, uh, bombarded Munda in it or the Munda airfield on New Georgia, New Georgia, during the night of the fifth to the sixth of March, and then continued to guard the movement of transports in the Solomons. So she's mostly just a patrol ship during this period. So from April twenty third to March or to May. 
1943, the Fletcher was in Sydney, Australia. So this was for what was called a well-earned berther, so a um, rest at port and a refit before another month of general duty in the Solomons. So patrols, rescuing people, uh, protecting transports, escorting, you know, all the normal stuff the destroyer does. Uh, she left Espiritu Santo on uh, June 19th for a stateside overhaul. So she came back to the United States and then was overhauled there. So a lot of overhauls on these ships as technology was rapidly advancing in the war. She returned to Nomia on September 27th to resume her former activities until Halloween of that year, so October 31st. She then sorted with an aircraft carrier task force to provide air support for the invasion of the Gilbert Islands, fighting off another Japanese counterattack from the air on November 26th. And then, again, uh, the Fletcher used its anti-aircraft guns on Japanese aircraft on December 4th, or December 4th uh, when the task force came under air attack when they had made a strike on Kawalajin Island. So then Fletcher returned to Pearl Harbor on ni- the 9th of December, 1943, and after a very brief overhaul and training on the West Coast, she came back for the attack on the Marshall Islands. She uh, screened a force of troop transports from San Diego to uh, Lorena Roads from the 13th of January to the 21st of January, 1944, then proceeded to join a bombardment group to fire on Wataji or Watji Atoll on January 30th. And then the next day, she joined the main attack force, and they were going to attack the, uh, the uh, island of Koala Jin. And this was mainly by an amphibious landing as part of the island hopping campaign. Uh, she just screened transports and patrolled off the atoll until the 4th of February of that year. And then she escorted the empty transports to Funafuti, uh, and then reported to Manjuro on the 15th of February. And this is just for screening battleships on the bombardments of uh, Tora and Wutaji on February 20th and 21st. Uh, and then she patrolled off Ienewitok. I don't know. Um, but some of you may be asking, well, why do these battleships need to be screened? They're not transports. They're not helpless. Well, yes, against aircraft, they aren't helpless. They are U.S. battleships, so they generally have very, or in, in real life, they have very good AA, very potent anti-aircraft weapons. But they are, however, pretty much helpless against submarines, and they're also helpless against Japanese destroyers. As Japanese destroyers, like in the game, are tend to be very stealthy, hard to spot, and quick. Or I guess, yeah, quick, but uh, they also are known for their torpedoes effectiveness. So you need those American destroyers, which, just like in the game, have very good guns and can easily counter, or not maybe not easily, but definitely counter Japanese destroyers uh, and drive them off from interfering with the bombardment of islands. So that is the reason why uh, these American destroyers often, or are always, escorting their battleships, because you don't want these battleships to get caught in the open, similarly to the USS Indianapolis, and get sunk by either A, a submarine, or B, a bunch of destroyers that decide to swarm them. So in April of 19, or before April of 1944, the USS Fletcher was training in the Solomon Islands some more, and then she arrived at Cape Sudest in New Guinea, and this was on April 18th, 1944, and this served as her base during the Humboldt Bay landings. She supported these landings by escorting transports and by providing bombardment assistance, and 
the rest of the spring and summer was mainly uh, patrolling to make sure that the Japanese didn't decide to do anything cheeky and reinforce their garrisons, especially on the uh, Black or Blake garrison uh, during the invasions invasions of Noem Four. Okay, and Sanspor and Moratai. I'm really sorry if anybody actually knows how to pronounce these islands, but my God, I don't, I don't know. Um, so she just basically spent the rest of the summer uh, patrolling and some of the fall patrolling against submarines and destroyers and uh, Japanese transports. Next is the Battle of Leyte Gulf. So during the Battle of Leyte Gulf, uh, USS Fletcher was escorting transports and uh, protecting them while their boats were ashore, you know, just putting down any, uh, uh, I guess, shore positions that the Japanese had that were capable of harming ships. And she then left Leyte Gulf before the great battle of Leyte Gulf occurred, and this was a battle for the control of Leyte Gulf between some major naval surface combatants of the U.S. and Imperial Japanese navies. Uh, she did uh, return slightly after the battle, or just after the battle, and I can imagine it was just like, what happened here as you see all the smoke and flames that are clearing? And this is because she was just escorting transports back to the U.S. base of operations and uh, bringing them back full of troops, just making sure that nothing happened to them on the way there or the way back. Um, in Jan or On January 4th, 1945, USS Fletcher sortied from San Pedro Bay to provide cover for the Luzon attack force as it sailed towards objectives. So Luzon, or Luzon, or whatever, is the uh, largest island in the Philippines archipelago and its most populous island. So it's a very important objective as it has lots of cities and bases and resources and stuff like that. So the Japanese, once again, decided to attack with their aircraft on January 8th, and USS Fletcher was more than happy to splash one of them and damage a few others and just generally drive them off, scare them away. Uh, she supported the landings in Alinigan Gulf and then patrolled the Gulf after the landings were successful. On January 29th, she entered Subic Bay to cover mine-sweeping operations, and then on January 31st, she provided fire support to the landings on Nasabu, or Nasabu, excuse me, that's not an H, uh, Boo Bay. And the Fletcher began to cover the four days of operations in the occupation of Bataan and Corregidor on the 13th of February, and just as uh, preliminary bombardments and giving support uh, on call. So essentially, when troops are ashore, they'll call out a certain target that they need uh, to be shot at, and the Fletcher will have its uh, fire control crew target that certain point and shoot at it, and hopefully eliminate whatever's there that the uh, ground units need to be taken out. So it's kind of like it's kind of like close air support. It's more just like close sea support, I guess, is what they're doing. She also covered minesweepers in Melania Bay. And uh, minesweeping is obviously a very important operation. However, minesweepers are generally not well-armed, so they do need to be escorted. So on February 14th, while bombarding uh, Japanese shore positions, she took a hit by from Japanese shore batteries at Los Chonicos, or uh, Conchitos, uh, okay, uh, at a point, and she took a hit which killed eight and of her men and wounded three of them. And she continued to fight as she performed damage control, or as her crew performed damage control operations. And a half hour later, she added rescue to her operations when she took survivors off YMS-48, uh, which was also hit by those Japanese shore batteries. Rather accurate for a Japanese shore battery, to be sure. 
Uh, the water tender second class Elmer C. Bilgelow was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor for his uh, conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity while fighting the fire on board the destroyer. So Fletcher's uh, firing in Melania Bay continued until the 17th of February, so three more days. And then she patrolled in Porto Princisca, Palawan, and Zamboangia. Uh, and covered minesweeping landings at Tarkan and gave some uh, more patrol operations and escort services in the Philippines until the 13th of May, 1945. And it was after this time where she sailed for the West Coast for an overhaul and other training exercises. And it was during this time when the war ended and she was docked at San Diego until she was placed in commission in reserve on August 7th, 1942, and out of commission in reserve on January 15th, 1947. She was recommissioned on October 3rd, 1949, as a specialist in anti-submarine warfare after conversion to an escort destroyer. So she was now DDE-445, and she served in the Korean War, not doing anything particularly interesting, mainly just uh, escort duties and other things of the such. Um, she was decommissioned and stricken from the naval vessel register on August 1st, 1969, and sold for scrap on the 22nd of February, 1972. And that is the end of USS Fletcher. Unfortunately, she's not preserved as a uh, museum ship, but there are some other ships that are preserved as museum ships, and that is uh, most notably the uh, USS Kidd, the USS... Uh, USS the Sullivans, I believe, and there's some ship in Greece that Greece bought from us, or from the U.S. Navy, and then used, and then now has as a museum ship. So uh, that is the end of USS Fletcher. Though, although you can, like I said, you can see USS Kidd in Louisiana. I think it is. Yeah, I think it's Louisiana. I don't know where USS the Sullivans is, but I know it does exist somewhere. So she actually, or USS Fletcher, actually received 15 battle stars for her World War II service, five for the Korean War service, and making her one of the most decorated U.S. ships of World War II. Why she did not make it to be a museum ship, I don't know. But she was awarded the Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal with 15 battle stars, the World War II Victory Medal, the Chinese Service Medal, the National Defense Service Medal with a star, the Korean Service Medal with five battle stars, the Philippine Presidential Unit Citation, the Korean Presidential Unit Citation, Philippine Liberation Medal with two stars, United States Service Medal, and the Korean War Service Medal. So, uh, she does appear in certain films, and she appears in the 1960 comedy film The Wackiest Ship in the Army, and she also appears in the film Down Periscope in stock footage as the ship that is targeted and sunk to end the game. So a war or end the film's war games. So uh, that is the it for the history or the real part of USS Fletcher. Up next is the USS Fletcher in World of Warships. Stick around until then. And welcome back to Rank Amateur, and now we are doing the World of Warships section of the USS Fletcher episode. So USS Fletcher sits at Tier 9 as the Tech Tree U.S. Destroyer, and there are actually three Fletcher-class destroyers in World of Warships. So it's obviously Tier 9 Fletcher. There is USS Black, which is a fairly unique ship in that it's one of the, I believe it's the only U.S. destroyer that has radar. And my goodness, can it be dangerous. It's an extremely dangerous ship because 
what happens is, is it smokes up like most U.S. destroyers love to do. They love their smoke screens, just like the Pan-Asian destroyers. And then it pops this radar, and it can see directly out of the smoke and shoot at whatever it wants. So that's it. Well, that's what makes it a very dangerous ship. Uh, and then there's also the Tier 8 USS Kid, which is essentially literally just a Fletcher with a heel, actually, at Tier 8. And it's lost one of its torpedo tube launchers to increase its AA guns. So not that that matters, because AA guns don't do anything in World of Warships, or at least not until they're buffed. I don't know if they're going to be buffed ever. I hope they are, but... Um, that is USS Kidd, but today we'll be focusing on USS Fletcher. So, USS Fletcher is a pretty interesting ship, and let's go over its uh, stats. So, it has 127mm, 38 caliber, Mark 12 guns. Uh, there are five of them. Each of them have their own turret, and they are fully armored. They are not open mounts, like most other or like uh, destroyers in the U.S. line have been up until this point, I believe. Uh, they have a 3.34 second reload. Yes, you'll be shooting. Uh, let's see, 24.5 kilogram HE packages of freedom every 3.34 seconds with this ship. Uh, she has a rotation speed of 34 degrees a second with a 180 degree turn time of a whopping 5.29 seconds. Yes, it will only take you 5 seconds to fire from one side of the ship and then the other side of the ship. Remember, these guns only reload in 3 seconds. So you can... It, yeah, it's crazy. This That's what makes this ship really good is the guns. Firing range is uh, not super shocking 11 kilometers but you can get it up to 12.95 kilometers stock without any other up or uh with just upgrading it and not doing any um other uh like module upgrades or captain skills uh the maximum dispersion is 103 meters stock uh, and top configurations so yeah the, it is a little bit inaccurate but nothing too uh, no, nothing too bad. HE shells, 127mm HE Mark 32 shell, with maximum HE shell damage of a pretty standard 18 under damage. Chance of fire on target is a pretty low 5% chance. Eh, remember, the ship has been a little bit of power crept since its introduction all those years ago. Um, so, yeah, you, there's some not-so-good points to this ship. But remember, you're firing them every 3 seconds, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, initial HE shell velocity is uh, not so impressive, 792 meters a second. Remember, U.S. destroyers have those incredibly high arcs. HE shell weight is 24.5 kilograms. AP shells, a 127 millimeter AP slash SC Mark 38 shell with a maximum HE shell damage of 2,100. The initial AP shell velocity is 792 meters a second, and the AP shell weight is 25 kilograms. The torpedo tubes are 533mm uh, Mark 15 uh, torpedoes, and there are two uh, like torpedo launchers, each with five tubes. Uh, reload time is 122 seconds. It can be buffed down to 106 seconds just by upgrading the specific torpedo tubes module. You don't have to do uh, any other upgrades other than that, and you can still reduce the reload time. They have a 180-degree turn time, 7.2 seconds, pretty standard. And the torpedo is a Mark 15 Mod 3 torpedo, and it's and it can also be, in top configuration, a Mark 16 Mod 1. Um, the maximum damage is 16,333 stock, and 
In top configuration, you can get the maximum damage up to 19,000, uh, 19,033 damage. Torpedo speed top configuration is 66 knots with a 10.5 kilometer range. And stock, it is 55 knots, so that's kind of like a moving, uh, slightly moving mine. Uh, with a range of about 9.15 kilometers. The AA defense is pretty good. I'm not going to go specifically into it. Uh, total, it, it's it's pretty good for a destroyer. In top configuration, you can get it to... Or, like, if you build for AA, you can get it to be pretty good. Although, it... I mean, it doesn't really matter. A destroyer is not going to be taking a whole squadron of interior... Or, whole squadron of aircraft down with it, so... Uh, maximum speed in stock configuration, or in top configuration, it doesn't really matter, is 36.5 knots. Turning circle radius is 560 meters, which is pretty tight compared to uh, Russian destroyers. Uh, rudder shift time is 3 seconds, which is also pretty good. Uh, surface detectability range is 7.38 kilometers. However, you can get it down to, I think, around 5-ish kilometers. I'm not totally sure what you can do with all these concealment modifications. Uh, air detectability range is two or 3.24 kilometers. Uh, base detectability range, what is that? That is uh, same at 7.38 kilometers. All right, and uh, now on the order of upgrades to research. So you should research hull B first for your additional health. And this is because you're going to be engaging in close quarters combat usually, and you need that extra or those extra hit points to ensure your success. And the second thing you should research are the torpedoes. Third thing you should research, or maybe not even research at all, depending on how you play, is gunfire control systems. And that's because you're going to get an extra 10% range on the main battery, but since the shell arcs are so high on ships like this, it's very hard to even hit anything, even a cruiser, at that range with such high arcs on your gun. So sometimes captains don't see it as totally worth it, which I guess I get. So now upgrades... Uh, main slot one, main armaments modification one, pretty standard for, uh, anything actually. Uh, engine room protection in slot two, which, uh, it's a little bit up in the air. You can equip defensive AA fire modification one, which is going to boost your, uh, anti-aircraft output on your, uh, defensive AA consumable. However, I don't recommend this ever because anti-aircraft guns are generally not a counter to aircraft, as weird as it sounds. It's just not effective. I mean, you okay, you could take out one squadron, but the carrier is just going to come back with another squadron as soon as your consumable runs out. It's 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 unfortunately not rocket science for the carrier to figure out. So that's why I find it more useful to have engine room protection. So for slot three, you can do aiming systems modification one, or you can do uh, uh, AA guns modification one. Again, just do aiming systems. Don't even bother with AA anymore. Propulsion systems modification one in slot four. Uh, in slot 5, concealment systems, modification 1 without a doubt because that decreases your concealment to a very good concealment. I think maybe around, especially with concealment expert, maybe around 5, 6 kilometers, I think. Maybe like 5 kilometers. And then there's slot 6. And slot 6 is a bit of a toss-up because um, you can do either a torpedo build uh, or two different main battery builds. So... Um, in your torpedo build, you can do torpedo tubes modification two in slot six, and this is going to lower your torpedo reload to 90 seconds. And if you want to invest in even, uh, in, uh, torpedo armament expertise, which is a level three commander skill, 
you can drop this reload time to 81 seconds. And that's very quick because your torpedo range can be up to, oh boy, I said 9 or 9.15 kilometers stock. But assuming if you're going for a torpedo build, you're going to upgrade that to 10.5 kilometers. So you can have, uh, you can have 10 packages of or 10 warheads of freedom going out every 81 seconds, and to a range of 10.5 kilometers, which I think is a pretty enticing build considering. The main battery builds for the maximum rate of fire is only going to load your or lower your reload to 2.6 seconds from 3.3 seconds. So it's yes, it'll buff your uh, DPM, but not. I mean, it'll buff your DPM, but it's not going to matter that much. 3.3 versus 2.6 seconds in um, uh, close quarters combat, honestly, especially in mid-range combat, it might matter a little bit in close quarters, but mid-range to long range is not going to matter. Um, so to do that maximum rate of fire build, you can do main battery modification three, and then, uh, basic fire and training for your level three commander skill. And this is going to, uh, increase the rate of fire from 3.3 seconds to 2.6 seconds. Main battery, uh, maximum range build is a little interesting. So if you're more of a ranged attack type person, you don't mind having the ridiculously high arcs of Fletcher's guns. Uh, going out to a range of 15 kilometers, you can equip Gunfire Control System Modification 2 in Slot 6, and that'll push that range out to 15 kilometers. But landing shells and stuff at that range is going to be very hard. So if you like that type of thing, like shooting over islands at long ranges, like maybe a USN light cruiser, by all means, go for it. But it's not super recommended. And you're like, oh, well, I can also stack with an advanced firing training and get the skill or get the range approaching 18 kilometers, and that's crazy. Well, yes, but actually, no. On most ships, yes. But the Fletcher's main battery guns had a historical range of 16 kilometers. In World of Warships, since it's a historical ship and not the Soviet magic ship powered by pixie dust and vodka, they actually do cap the range out to 16.3 kilometers. So no matter how many skills you have buffing your... Um, your uh, main battery gun range, it is going to stick at 16.3 kilometers. So it's not recommended to stack those two skills. So what you could do is you could do a torpedo build and then just take advanced firing training to push out the range. But it's So it's not recommended taking both. Take one or the other. Mac, uh, gunfire control systems, modification 2, or AFT. One or the other. That's what's recommended. So, on to commander skills. So, there are a f there's actually a pretty rigid structure to what you should do as far as commander skills up until, or except at level 3. So, for uh, the level 1, you're going to take priority target. There is no question about that. I take that on every ship I have. There's absolutely no question about it. You could take incoming fire alert, but generally, as a Fletcher, when you're spotted, you're being shot at. So, not necessarily needed. Uh, next skill is last stand, so that's tier two. Definitely take it always, always, always on a destroyer last stand. There is zero exception to this. As a destroyer, you always take last stand, and that's gonna make sure your uh, ship is going to be able to move and maneuver whether your engine or steering gears are knocked out. It is absolutely essential. So adrenaline rush is also essential in tier two. Uh, I would not take that on the first go-around, but definitely uh, essential. So that's going to increase the reload of your guns as your health deplenishes. And let me tell you, as an American destroyer, your health will deplenish a lot. 
in over the course of a battle. And since you don't have heals, you can't gain that back. So, yeah. Um, in tier three, the first one I would get. There's a few good ones, but the first one I would get is definitely going to be survivability expert because you do need that extra hp because you're going to be knife fighting at close range which is basically what this ship specializes in so you're going to need that extra hp to get an advantage over your opponents uh next is in tier four is concealment expert concealment expert is essential because well it's essential on pretty much every destroyer uh, but definitely on the Fletcher because you can get that concealment down to a very, very good level, which is essential for ambushing other destroyers and maybe even the occasional cruiser. Uh, so back to tier three. Uh, so once you get that concealment expert, you can go with a few different things depending on your build. So torpedo build, definitely pick up torpedo armament expertise. Um, if you're doing a, a maximum rate of fire, do BFT, so a basic firing training. Uh, superintendent would be recommended for all builds because this can get you an extra charge on your smoke and your defensive anti-aircraft fire or your engine boost consumable depending on whether which one you uh, take and then you can also take demolition expert for the two percent extra chance of uh, he shells causing a fire on target which can be useful uh, especially in knife fighting just to kind of seal the deal on the enemy destroyer ifhe not r really recommended because it's just going to take that um, a rate of fire that's already like 5% and have it to like 2%. So it's not recommended because it just does so much damage to your fire chance. You're never it, If you're shooting at enemy battleships, you're pretty much never going to get a fire then. Or very seldom going to get a fire. Consumables. So there is a little bit of... Usually there's not much debate in consumables, but uh, there is on the Fletcher. So first one... Or first two, you don't have a choice. You have to take damage control party and smoke generator... Uh, slat 3 is a toss-up, though, and this is because you can take engine boost or defensive anti-aircraft fire. Personally, I recommend engine boost, but there are a lot of people who swear by defensive AA fire. Defensive AA fire, in my opinion, doesn't do that much because any aircraft carrier player that's capable of thinking and breathing at the same time, or even not capable of thinking and breathing at the same time, is either A, going to bait out your defensive anti-aircraft fire, because they're going to try to attack you, and if you pop it, they'll just get out of the of your AA bubble. If you don't pop it, they'll just attack you. So you're kind of out of the firing pan and into the fire. Uh, and then it, even if they lose all the aircraft because they fly straight into your AA bubble as you pop defensive anti-aircraft fire, they're just going to come back again. It's it's that simple because the fairies in their hangar of their uh, aircraft carrier are just going to come back and uh, build more aircraft for them. So engine boost, in my opinion, is more useful because it helps you get out of sticky situations faster because this is a relatively quick destroyer at a top speed of 36 and a half knots. So you can get that up to like, was it like 38, 39 knots? And that is useful for getting out of situations or just ducking behind an island and kind of figuring out what you're going to do from there rather than just get instantly deleted right away. So... Recommended signal flags. First of all, I always, always, always fly this on my destroyers, and that's Juliet Charlie. Juliet Charlie reduce or completely eliminates the risk of your magazine detonating, and that is very useful because without it, there is a high probability of your magazine detonating as a destroyer, not necessarily as a cruiser or battleship. Although it has happened to me in my when I was playing my New Orleans, uh, I had the first shot of the battle uh, came from a destroyer actually that I was about ready to kill. And he fired one shot at me, detonated my magazines, and that was it. 
Yeah, so from now on, I fire anti-magazine detonation flags, so Juliet Charlie, on every ship I do. Except for aircraft carriers, because no aircraft carrier ever sank to magazine detonations. Uh, next one you should do is cons- uh, is November Foxtrot and Sierra Mike, so uh, five, or minus 5% reload time on all consumables, and plus 5% to ship's maximum speed, re- uh, respectively. So that's going to just make sure that the Fletcher can get to around 40 knots with the speed boost on, and uh, has less of a recharge time on their smokescreen, which is essential for the Fletcher. So um, you can fly uh, Victor Lima, Juliet Whiskey, uh, Unanone, or Unanone, okay, Juliet Whiskey, and uh, India X-Ray. So India X-Ray is um, going to increase the chance of fire. Uh, Juliet Whiskey is going to be uh, increasing your chance of flooding. Uh, and Victor Lima is going to increase your chance of causing a fire as well. Although uh, Indian X-Ray and Juliet Whiskey are going to increase your chance of your ship's magazine detonating. However, that Juliet Charlie completely eliminates it. So uh, it's kind of nullified there. However, Victor Lima uh, causes your ship to have a uh, plus 4% chance of flooding, which... It, can be a trade-off. I generally don't fly Victor Lima because they're just not super useful to me. Um, and for economic signals, pretty much just fly whatever you want. Most recommended generally is Equal Speed Charlie London, but uh, I do f- fly Papa Papa a lot and uh, Zulu. I tend to fly a lot because there's when you get to high tiers. I'm sure everybody knows this. Who's at high tiers? There's an absolute shortage of credits. You just completely run out of them a lot because modules and things are so expensive. So now, how does this ship actually play? How are you supposed to play it? Well, there's a few different ways you can play this ship. It is kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none because there's it has a lot of things over every single destroyer in the game, but usually every single destroyer in the game has something over the Fletcher. I would say the biggest threat to the Fletcher, though, is the USS Black. And that's because the Black has radar and the Fletcher doesn't. So the Black is essentially just a Fletcher with radar. So that is a very dangerous ship for a Fletcher to be facing just because it's the same thing except with an advantage over it. So if you see a Black, I generally recommend just not engaging. I wouldn't really engage a Black unless you know it's burned its radar and it's got a a few minutes of cooldown and you can ambush it by surprise. I guess ambush it's always by surprise, but just catch it completely off guard. That's the, that's I would say the only circumstance which you should engage in a straight up gunfight with a black because it's uh, a fair fight or too much of a fair fight. And uh, in war, we don't really like fair fights. We like unfair fights, and we don't like to be on the receiving end of unfair fights. Um, so this ship does not work well with contesting caps either. So I would. Pretty much never contest caps, unless you're top tier, there's no carriers, and you're sure there's not a black or another Fletcher in or contesting the cap before you. Because what this ship is really good at is sitting just outside the cap. Because as soon as you get spotted in the ship, it is one of the very dangerous ships, because people know it's very dangerous, that gets instantly focused down. 
and and shot it if the team's capable of thinking and breathing at the same time and for good reason because as the match goes on this thing gets progressively more and more dangerous assuming it keeps most of its hit points it's kind of like a shimikaze and a shimikaze is a very dangerous ship that's very seldom spotted in an invulnerable position so as soon as it's spotted the entire team drops what they're doing and shoots at the shimikaze as they should because it's extremely dangerous and not likely to stay detected for a long period of time because usually they're detected by either radar or just some dumb mistake that they made and they're quickly getting out of that scenario another example of that is a carrier spotted at close range other than a german carrier or even sometimes a german carrier because uh they're just dangerous they're very very dangerous and if you can get them removed from the match it significantly eases uh the uh, process of winning a match so i would sit right outside the cap maybe like two kilometers away from it and just spot something there spot stuff in there and if it's something you want to shoot at shoot at it now, I usually recommend shooting at it from an, behind an island or inside a smoke screen or just in an advantageous position. Shoot at it, destroy it, and then get behind an island. Because what this thing used to do was it used to just be able to shoot at it and take care of it and then shoot at something else. But now there's other ships in the game that have the ability to counter a Fletcher, so it it specializes more in ambush, I would say. So as soon as that thing is spotted, ambush it, take it out retreat into a smoke screen or an island and kind of figure out and reassess the situation from there. I used to hate the tier 7 Pan-Asian destroyer, the Gahamada, because I wasn't playing it right. I was contesting caps and things like that like it would a Fushun. But that's not how this ship's supposed to play. It doesn't specialize in contesting caps. It loves shooting the Fletcher and the Gahamada love shooting from smoke. They love destroying other destroyers. They love ambushes. They have good torpedoes. Uh, and that's another thing about the Fletcher. If something's in the cap, just spray the cap with torpedoes. I mean, these torpedoes do enough damage that they're probably going to take out what, if it hits a destroyer, it's pretty much going to take it out or at least severely damage it to the point where you can find it and kill it. So what you do when you see a radar cruiser, you know, run and hide in this thing. And as soon as you're not dealing with other destroyers, you really just play it like a... Uh, U.S. Navy light cruiser. I would just sit behind islands or in smoke screens. I would not sit in an exposed position at all in this ship. As soon as you're exposed, since this ship is so versatile, especially as the match goes on, it gets focused down immediately. So you don't do anything brazen in this ship. You you can engage uh, things from long range, especially if you're built for that. Like you're engaging things from. 15 kilometers away that that's when this ship can get kind of hard to hit especially with that good rudder shift time but i would say really just kind of play the islands use cover shoot over it i uh, was in a match with four fletchers actually the other day and uh there's two fletchers on our team and or yeah two fletchers on our team obviously two fletchers on the other team uh, and there was three Fletchers that didn't really know how to play the ship, and they played it like every other destroyer, and that's they contested the cap, they fought, they got focused down, they all died. But there was one Fletcher on the enemy team who clearly knew the ship, and he used it very well. He first came out, he didn't quite contest the cap, but he didn't, he didn't like sit in the back and just spam for maximum range like a Cabarrosk or a Kleber. He sat sort of close to the cap, and took out our Fletchers, then retreated behind an island through a smoke screen, and began shooting over the smoke screen, or shooting over the island, and boy was he annoying. He actually managed to survive the match until it was like, I think it was him and someone else who were alive, and it was just because uh, 
he was trying to hold the flank by himself. He was, I think it was him and then another battleship possibly and his team blemming turns to the other flank so it wasn't his skill that was uh the reason why they lost it was the just the team the collective team just not doing well it was a fairly easy win for us but he was a very he sank i think three maybe yeah i think like three of our ships just by playing comfortably like uh so he would shoot over the island and then pop out, dump torps, and then go back into the island. So it was a very tough nut to crack because as soon as you'd want to go after him, he'd just throw torpedoes over the, around the side of the island and then sink the ship that was trying to come after him. So he single-handedly delayed our process of completely rushing the flank. And that is, that is how you're supposed to play the ship. That, that is how powerful it can be in the right hands because the ship does have a very high skill cap, this ship can hold a flank by itself. It can. Now, it does need that spotting, so I guess maybe not totally by itself, but let's say you have another ship that's at long range, and it's spotting targets that are firing at it. This ship is deadly. It is very deadly. And through a smoke screen, this thing, there's just nothing better. Now, there's a few ways not things not to do with this. Don't ever contest the cap. Don't ever go to B. Don't ever go up the middle. Don't, I mean, that's that's kind of general rules of thumb for any ship, but especially in this ship. You might get away with it in a Shimakaze. You might get away with it in uh, some other ships, but not this one, because it doesn't necessarily have that many hit points. They do tend to evaporate quickly in a close-range knife fight. Now, if there's a cap where you know, let's say, there's uh, like a Tier 7 destroyer or something, like something you know you can outgun and be done with, yes, absolutely, night fight. That's what this thing really shines, is taking out other destroyers. But once those destroyers are gone, you do not want to engage a light cruiser. Because a light cruiser will eat this thing for breakfast. Uh, especially like a Helena. Even though a Helena is Tier 7, it has that broadside, that alpha strike, even with the time explosive, that will take out a Fletcher. <laughs> or at least severely damage it and get it in the next salvo. So you don't want to engage light cruisers unless you're behind islands through a smoke screen or uh, with lots of support. Um, battleships, it depends. Uh, if there's, especially if there's you're on a flank with a, a few other your teammates, yeah, you can just pretty much gunboat it and uh, start farming the battleship. But if there's more valuable targets, you should definitely be shooting at them. So let's say a battleship pops up and then the destroyer, well, I dump the torps against the battleship and start shooting at the destroyer because the battleships are usually big and stupid and tend to sail in straight lines. So a straight line sailing battleship will catch your torps, probably sink, and then you'll be able to sink that uh, enemy destroyer because there's not many things at this tier that can outgun a Fletcher. Now, when you're in a tier 10 battle, don't gauge gearing. Don't gain a Cabros uh, at medium range. Now, at short range, one could argue that a Fletcher could take a Cabros just because uh, it could outturn the gun turrets. That's pretty much the only thing. And the Cabros uh, has armor that can actually that's actually thick enough to arm the armor piercing. So if you're shooting at a Cabros, I recommend using armor piercing unless you're trying to get a fire. Um, I wouldn't really shoot at any of those Japanese combo destroyers just because they'll melt you because they have a superior rate of fire. But if you're taking a Shimakaze or something like that, definitely go after it. Uh, so what's the gist of the ship? The gist, I would say, don't cap. Sit just outside the cap. Destroy enemy destroyers. Uh, be very careful around light cruisers and torpedoes for battleships for days. And you'll show what a boat-firing capitalist packages of freedom 
can do on the battlefield. And that is it for this episode on USS Fletcher. I hope you enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed making it very much. And please, if you have any questions or suggestions for the next episode, I'm actually thinking of going over maybe a line of ships. How a line, like let's say the British cruisers or the British battleships, tend to play in general. Uh, Let me know if you want to have that in the next episode. Otherwise, please check out my uh, merch stores. There is a European and a USA uh, store, depending on the region that you're in. And until next time, captains...